In a small rural Ohio town, two brothers anxiously watched the schoolroom clock, waiting for the teacher to ring the final bell and dismiss class. Glancing at each other, they packed away their slates and their primers. It was their last day of school for the spring. They would be back in the fall after harvest, and they were eager to get home. Their father had promised them an evening at their fishing hole before they went to work planting in the morning, and they had a long walk home. The second the teacher reached for the bell on her desk, the brothers made a break for the door. Ignoring her admonishment that they hadn't yet been dismissed, the boys threw open the schoolhouse door and raced down the steps into the fresh air. Neither brother paused long enough to open the gate to the schoolyard, choosing instead to leap over it and into the dirt road leading out of town. Fueled by excitement and freedom, the two boys ran toward home. Almost to their farm, the eldest made a split decision to cut through the neighbor's woods. The hill between them and their home was steep and strangely symmetrical, enough so that they usually went the longer route around it. Today, however, was an exception. Wait, the youngest called. Getting no response, he tore into the woods after his brother, not wanting to fall too far behind. The hill was steep and the underbrush was thick. It slowed his pace significantly until he heard a sharp crack followed by his brother's shrill scream. The younger boy lunged through the thick brush in time to see his older brother sliding into a hole. He leapt forward and grabbed his brother's arm, but he was too small to stop them from tumbling into the cave. They fell a short distance, and weak light filtered in after them. What the boy saw when they got their bearings rendered them speechless. They were surrounded by skeletons. In front of them, carefully laid out, were the bones of a woman adorned in copper armor and jewelry of the likes they had never even imagined. A copper circlet rested atop her skull, and ropes of pearls circled her neck. Around her resting place, the skeletons of eight more people were arranged in a perfect circle, like the spokes of a wheel. If not for the other bones, the brothers may not have noticed that the woman with the crown was nearly twice the size of a normal human. Too stunned to scream or to panic, the boys looked at each other wide-eyed. They had fallen into the tomb of a giantess. Welcome back to ANA's Tall Tales. I'm Andrea. And I'm Amanda. And we are covering giants today. Yes. So... We were doing, we were supposed to do Giants and Pygmies, <laughs> but someone has way too much information on just Giants alone, so we are breaking the topic up. Yes. Unfortunately, I got really into this, and no joke, no exaggeration, have 17 pages of handwritten notes. Yeah. I am blaming the fact that I have been sick for the last week and a half, and have had way too much time to research. Oh, sure. That's what you're blaming it on. (laughs) (laughs) On that topic, too, I'm going to apologize in advance. We're going to do our best to edit it out, but I am still fighting with a cough, so. And if you're anything like me, your cough will last like four months before it goes away, so. You know, everybody keeps telling me that, and I am sticking my head in the sand and refusing to admit it. That's fair. So, anyway, how about those giants, guys? Yeah, giants. Like, come on now. 
Really tall people. Yeah. Like my family. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say my husband and his family, but... Yeah. My dad's baby brother is like six foot seven, so... I come from a very tall family, very big family. And I got a kick out of some of this research that I did because they're like, oh, yeah, we found this giant skeleton. They were six foot seven. And I'm like, oh, so you mean my family reunions? Yeah. But anyway, the cool thing about giants that I really, really have gotten into, I did not realize, and I'm not sure that many people do, just how much folklore and stories that we grew up hearing are they include giants of some kind so i want to start out with american folklore if that's okay with you that is fine by me you have 17 pages of notes (laughs) i was like i have two pages of typed notes i'm just gonna let you take the lead on this oh i'm so excited i love history and i love there's nothing i love more than history that has a good story to it and has just enough possibility that it could be true it it just oh it gets my brain fired up the first thing that i found immediately when i typed giants in america was that in the 18th and 19th century, there are thousands of reports from reputable sources of giant skeletons being found and unearthed across the country. A lot of these finds were correlated with the mounds in Central America. And so it started to make sense to me why so many of our American folklore stories from those eras include giants. One of the most famous ones that we all grew up hearing, and it's not necessarily American-based, but we have definitely adopted it and made it our own, is Jack and the Beanstalk. I'm not sure who out there has not heard of Jack and the Beanstalk. You know, traded his old milk cow for magic beans, climbed the beanstalk, golden goose, gets the giant awake, chases him, he wants to eat Jack, falls down the beanstalk and dies, right? We've all heard that. We've all seen the Disney movie. We've all seen the live action movie. It's it's a part of culture, right? Mm-hmm. So that's probably the most popular folklore giant I could think of. But then we also have Paul Bunyan. He has that blue ox, right? Babe the blue ox. Yeah, he's a lumberjack. Yeah. And the story of Paul Bunyan and Babe were told orally in in lumber camps throughout America until 1904 when the first written tale appeared. And that, that first tale was written in the Duluth News Tribune, not like the clothing company, like the the town. (laughs) It was written by uh, William B. Lawfed and they were highly fantastical. I mean, these tales that he wrote claimed things like, Paul Bunyan and Babe's footprints created the 10,000 lakes of Minnesota that they created Um. the Grand Canyon by Paul pulling his axe behind him that Mount Hood appeared because of Paul putting stones on his campfire to put it out at night. However, there were actual men in these lumber camps in the, the mid to late 1800s that claimed to have known Paul, that he was an actual man and that he was around seven feet tall of massive stature 
I thought that was extremely interesting. Again, because we've all seen the massive blue ox fiberglass statues across like Route 66 and stuff. I mean, we've all seen pictures of those and or maybe it's just me, but I feel maybe my mom just had a thing for Paul Bunyan growing up. But there's all sorts of trails and things in the Midwest that are named after him, bike paths and hiking trails and it's a story that's very deeply embedded in a section of American history. Then we have Pecos Bill. I don't know if anybody's heard of him. I had not. I had to do a little bit of digging on that one. What? What kind of school did you go yeah. to? <laughs> I don't know, but I learned a whole bunch of fancy things. You know what? I think that this topic of folklore and myth and legend, especially across America, has always been something that I've been deeply, deeply drawn to. And I have always loved the Western and cowboy mythology and lore and people. Those are, they're just what I tend to be drawn to. I wonder how you got the idea for this podcast. <laughs> hey, you ran with it, okay? You made this happen. It don't blame me. <laughs> so in American folklore, there is an entire segment of, of our country's history and storytelling that revolved around this big man type setup. And it was very, very popular as the West was being expanded. And so Pecos Bill was part of this. He was part of the cowboy and folk hero segment of history set during the American Westward expansion. There were stories about him uh, that, again, extremely fantastical. He lassoed a storm cloud and brought it to Texas, and it rained so much that the Gulf of Mexico was created. As he was riding his horse across the desert, he created the Rio Grande River when he and his horse needed to get water. So he drug a stick across the ground and it filled with water. And that's now the Rio Grande. It's also said that he's responsible for the painted desert. Lots of big fantastical creation type myths with these two. Along the lines of the big man, giant type folklore figures, which this was kind of new to me. And then going back and reading through this particular legend, folk folk legend I think it had occurred to me as a child that this man had to have been a giant and my brain just glossed it over so the next one that I came across was John Henry again maybe I'm just a history geek but who hasn't heard of John Henry he became well known for racing against a steam-powered rock drilling machine and he won the race only to die with the hammer still in his hand. So John Henry was actually reportedly a actual person. And he was an extremely large man who stood a head and shoulders above everyone else and was twice as broad. He was a man of incredible stature, is what I, I kept finding. Definitely a legend that is worth looking into. There's a lot of debate about where the actual race against the steam-powered rock drilling machine took place. But one thing I did find is that pretty much everybody agrees that John Henry was an actual person who stood over seven feet tall. I saw reports of seven foot one to seven foot four. That was a fun one. That's tall. Yeah. It kind of brings to mind images of like the Green Mile 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes my heart happy. All these legends and folk legends just make my heart happy. So then the one that really got my attention, I had never heard before. And I love it. It was a legend that was based out of Massachusetts. And it's nautical themed. And it is of a man named Alfred Stormalong. Also known as Alfred Bulltop Stormalong. And Mr. Stormalong. Stormalong John. Or Yankee John Stormalong. That's a lot of names. I wonder if they called him Stormy. (laughs) I had never heard of him before. And I was like, uh, I gotta look into this. So, Stormalong was 30 feet tall. He was a massive, massive man. He was born of the sea. He was the master of a clipper ship. Why does that sound so weird when I say it out loud? Well, where do you think the Columbus Clippers came from? Yeah, that makes sense. So he was the master of a clipper ship so large, its mass had to be hinged to avoid getting caught on the moon. Oh, hinged. I thought you were saying pinned. I'm like, what is she talking about? I'm sorry. I'm congested. (laughs) I know. Here, here. Oh, hang on. Wait, the masts were hinged? They were hinged like a door. What? So they wouldn't get caught on the moon. Wow. That's how big the ship is. I feel like that's a little unreasonable. It's a tall tale, woman. I know. But <laughs> that ship can't fit on the earth. Anyway, no, just keep going. <laughs> I don't know. As, as close to the earth as the moon has been the last couple of times it's been big and full. I don't know. Anyway, so this particular tale of Storm Along is traced back to African-American folklore in the 1830s and 1840s. The coolest thing about this guy is he had a lifelong rivalry with a slash the Kraken. Apparently they had a run-in when he was a fairly young ship's captain and the Kraken won. It destroyed his ship and he kind of skulked away. He walked away on the ocean floor to land and he had to build a new ship. Can I just... Well, he never forgot that. And as he went about his his sea voyages, he always kept an eye out for the Kraken. So the ship that he rebuilt after it was destroyed, he got the bright idea to have a stable of Arabian horses on, on board. And the reason he had this stable of Arabian horses was so that his crew could get back and forth across the deck without having to stop and take a nap. His ship was so large that they drilled the Panama Canal simply by slamming it into the Panamanian coastline. There was actually also one time that he got stuck in the English Channel and his crew had to grease the hull of the ship with soap. The soap combined with the hull scraping against the gray cliffs of Dover is what turned them a bright white. He was pretty amazing. Towards the end of his life, he actually had a second run-in with the Kraken that he won. And he kept a piece of the Kraken with him until the day that Davy Jones claimed him to his locker. I, so. I want the Kraken to be my rival. How, how do I make that happen? <laughs> um, apparently, you have to be a larger-than-life sea captain. Oh, I'm 5'5". I don't think that's going to happen. No, you are the opposite of giant. 
you are fun-sized. Those are some of the giants of American folklore. I'm sure that there are other ones that I did not find. If so, please, please, please let me know. Us know, not just me. No, please let Andrea know. She (laughs) would love to know more about all of this. I'm so obsessed over this. And then, just briefly, every culture on Earth has a giant myth. So, I mean, look at some of the other big myths that we know. Titans. They were ginormous. Gigantic. Gigantically ginormous. Yeah, one of those. (laughs) Atticus, who holds the world on his shoulder, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Cyclops. There's just... They're all over. There's the red-bearded giants in Alaska. There's even recently reports of a red-bearded giant in Kandahar and in the Middle East. They're all over. There's giants throughout various religious texts. The Bible mentions giants. The Quran mentions giants. They're all over. Many, many different countries across the world have reported finding giant skeletons just in the Bible alone. Again, most people have probably heard of David and Goliath. I'm going to guess that a lot of people have heard of the Nephilim. It's kind of a, I mean, for the love of Pete, in 1848, Abraham Lincoln, in his Niagara speech, spoke about giants standing there and seeing the same waterfall that they were looking at now. I did find a couple of places that apparently Abraham Lincoln had a fascination with giants and spent a lot of time in the Ohio River Valley searching for giant artifacts, which I thought was really cool. And if you're curious, look up his speech at Niagara in 1848. I found the transcript. It's amazing. I have like three pages of notes on giants of the Bible right here. There was 10 of them mentioned across the first few books of the Bible to begin with. And about the same time, the Quran mentioned several of the same giants. So I thought that was really, really interesting how there's a connection there. Just when we're all sitting here going, whatever, giants, seriously? How about our modern day giants? I need to know about the modern day giants, Andrea. I'm slightly high on cold medicine right now, so hold on a second. Okay, so we've all, again, Andre the Giant? Ever heard of him? Oh, yeah. I did not realize, and for some reason, I feel like I have been to a museum that had one of his shoes, and it was massive. He was seven feet, four inches tall. He was affected by a pituitary disorder known as gigantism. So that does affect three in one million people, even today. There's treatments for the disorder now that were not available in Andre's time. But he was a large man, very large. He was a well-known wrestler, well-known actor. And I could swear that I have seen one of his shoes for some reason. And I don't know why I'm so convinced of that. I have no idea. It was somewhere like Universal Studios, maybe, or something. It was in a weird place. Anyhow, there's also Paul Donald White II, who is also known as The Big Show and The Giant, who was a WWE wrestler. He's still alive. I believe he's in his his mid-40s to early 50s right now. 
He is seven foot two inches tall and weighs in at a whopping 383 pounds. He's a pretty well-known wrestler and actor. So that's a big man. Look at how many of our NBA basketball players right now are over seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Shaquille O'Neal for Pete's sake. And then we have Captain Martin Van Buren Bates. How's that for a big name? That's a big name. Guess what? There was a big man to go with it. He was a Civil War captain who stood a whopping seven foot seven by some reports. And by some reports, he stood seven foot eleven. He was ferocious in battle. Once the Civil War was over, he did a lot of traveling with P.T. Barnum across the world. While he was traveling with P.T. Barnum, he met a woman named Anna Haining, who was from British Columbia, Canada. They got along swimmingly, which is probably a good thing, because she also stood an imposing seven foot eleven. They married, and when they got married, Queen Victoria herself gave the captain a diamond-studded golden pocket watch and gave Anna a diamond ring as a wedding gift. Oh, I thought that was really cool. This couple retired to Seaville, Ohio in 1872. Anna tragically died in 1888, and the captain died in 1919, so 100 years ago, not that long ago. He is still the tallest known person to live to be 80 years old. I did come across them. I just didn't get up to researching because you were like, I have 17 pages of notes. Like, okay. And you were like, oh my goodness, what is wrong with you? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I could feel you rolling your eyes at me several times through all of this, and I'm really sorry, and thank you for indulging me. I just put up with you, smile, and say yes, dear. (laughs) Oh, you're so well-trained. Wait, or am I well-trained? How does that work? Mm, Moving right along. (laughs) Oh, boy. And now I can hear Kyle rolling his eyes. (laughs) From all the way downstairs, yes. Yes, I I can feel it in my bones. Okay. I I don't even know where to start with this next branch. Like I touched on at the beginning, in the 18th and 19th centuries, so 17 and 1800s, there were thousands of reports of giant skeletons and artifacts being found throughout the country. Mounds were found throughout the United States, and of those mounds, almost 60% of them were found in Ohio. Unfortunately, at this point, there's just over 40% of those mounds that still remain. A lot of them were dug into while towns were being built and leveled to make way for towns to be used for building materials, and that is when a lot of these discoveries were made. And it was actually around the same time that President Lincoln mentioned giants in his speech at Niagara Falls. So how to dive into this stuff? I did something that I knew you weren't going to do. What's that? I dove back into my newspaper hole. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you'll be proud of me. I actually did some newspapering too. Good. Yeah. But I did find a couple articles Anywhere from like 1845 to the latest I found was 1902. And it's just stuff like, uh, let's see, Chicago, January 16th, a dispatch to the Record Herald from 
Nevada says workmen engaged in digging gravel here have uncovered at a depth of about 12 feet a number of bones that once were a part of the skeletons of a gigantic human being. Dr. Samuel, I think it says, it's kind of weirded out, pronounced them the bones of a man who must have been nearly 11 feet in height. Holy smokes. There's one that says... Uh, let's see, there's one that was six feet eight inches. Um, I think the biggest, like, fib, it, with reading all these, it was kind of weird because I'm like, that's so cool, but at the same time, it feels like an ego contest. Like, oh, yours was seven feet? Well, ours is ten. And it was just <laughs> hilarious to me. But there's one I found that said, the gentleman who walked to the earth was about 18 feet high and when clothed with flesh must have weighed not less than 3,000 pounds. Holy. Like, I highly doubt that, but said the bones of the thigh and leg measure 6 feet 6 inches. His skull is said to be two-thirds the size of a flour barrel and capable of holding <laughs> in its cavities two bushels. I... I love how the description on some of these is just, like, it brings to mind some of those memes from all the rest of the world that uses metric. They're like, Americans will use anything to measure size other than metric. And anyway. We have a running joke uh, in, in my friend's group. We were watching one of those biggest you won't believe animal shows just randomly on like youtube or netflix and so it's either how many forearms is it or how many school buses does it weigh <laughs> yeah yeah it's exactly that kind of thing there was another one that made me laugh it says the discovery of a skeleton of a prehistoric giant in miamisburg larger than any human skeleton ever found before is another proof of the greatness of ohio men which just made me laugh because we're back to the ego uh-huh. argument. <laughs> like, yeah, sure, uh-huh. <laughs> it just, yeah, there's most of the accounts that I found, the skeletons were reported to be between seven foot and, and nine feet tall. And again, that's enormous, but I don't know that it's completely outside the realm of possibility on some accounts, especially when we have people walking the earth today still that are well over seven feet tall. Yeah, and I had this question, so I googled it. It was just like, if we're talking 17, 1800s, you know, people are supposedly getting taller as the years go by. The average height between men and women from then and now is only like an inch or two. So we're not like, you know, midgets 100, 200 years ago. Yeah. Just so everybody is aware. I think there has always been sections or individuals that are massively taller than the people around them. Anna Haining Van Buren that we just spoke about, who was seven foot 11, when I read her history she was one of something like 12 or 14 children and she was the only one of that that family that was extraordinarily tall mm -hmm. and she was born at like 16 pounds oh my 
Right. Oh my god. You want to talk about some big babies? Look up how big Anna's babies were. Oh no, thank you. <laughs> the coolest thing I think about this that I found is every county in Ohio between the 1700s and 1800s had reports of giant skeletons being found. All 88 counties have had giant finds. So my county, which I'm in Richland County, had four reported and Delaware had six. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I'm easily delighted by stuff. I Don't can judge me. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A noted Native American author and professor of law named Vine Deloria wrote, The first hint that we had about the possible existence of an actual race of tall, strong, and intellectually, of course I would stumble over that word, Mm -hmm. sophisticated people, was in researching old township and county records. Many of these quoted from old diaries and letters that were combined for posterity in the 1800s from diaries dating back to the 1700s. Some of these old county and regional history books contain real gems because the people were not subjected to a rigid indoctrination about evolution and were astonished about what they found and honestly reported it. That I really feel like lines up with what I was finding in a lot of these little snippets from the the different county histories. The news clippings that I found were very much like you were pointing out sensationalized Um, yeah they were very sensationalized in a lot of cases however the snippets from the different county history books which i have found on google and at this point i am just bookmarking all of them because they are fascinating slightly dry in some places but fascinating hold on while i put my geek self back together but yeah i i also noticed that the some of those accounts were pretty just straightforward wow guys this is what we found and we looked into it this is pretty cool and we moved on with our day i found in the history of marion county ohio published in 1883 from past accounts a note of evidence for the occupation of the region before the appearance of the red man and the white man was found all over the county They excavated bluffs for construction materials and dug for cellars and basements and wells. And in that time frame, they found hundreds of skeletons that were unearthed, and many of them were giant in nature. It doesn't really go on to give details of, like, actual feet or heights of these skeletons, but it does talk about how the jawbones of some of the skulls were large enough to fit over a large man's face like a mask. That has happened enough in reading all of these little snippets that I want to know what kind of sick person pulls somebody else's skull or jawbone out of the earth and immediately goes, this would fit over my own head. Because it's apparently it's almost everybody that found these bones. Andrea? What? I love you. And I'd like to think better of us. But I feel like that would be us. <laughs> we would totally do it. <laughs> You're completely right, but still, <laughs> I'm not saying it's appropriate. You weren't supposed to. But it's... You weren't supposed to call me out on it. 
<laughs> supposed to call you out on it. I'm best friend. Could you see us being out exploring somewhere and stumbling across something like this and like be looking and then I'd be like, hey, Amanda, look at this and turn around and I would be gl- looking at you out of the mouth of some giant skull. That's totally how it would probably go. Oh, 110%. Alright, so we are those people. We are those people. (laughs) Disregard. So, along with the... (laughs) Moving on. uh, Also in Marion County, Ohio, there is a snippet from Now and Long Ago, A History of Marion County Area. It's reported that three skeletons were found at the mouth of of Pawpaw Creek. If you don't know what pawpaws are, you need to look up my friend Sam and her pawpaw jam. Anyway. (gasps) Three skeletons. Oh, it's amazing. Hedgestone Farm. Look it up. Three skeletons were found at the mouth of Pawpaw Creek. Jim Dean and some men were digging for a bridge foundation and found these bones at the lower end of the buffalo wallow. Dr. Kidwell of Fairmont examined them and said they were very old, perhaps thousands of years old. When the skeletons were exposed to the weather for a few days, the bones turned black and began to crumble. Squire Satterfield had them buried in Joe Life Graveyard. All those skeletons measured more than eight feet long. This was published in 1969. Also in Southern Ohio, the history of Brown County. Mastodonic remains occasionally are unearthed, and from time to time, discoveries of remains of native settlements, including giant skeletons, have made an appearance in some cases, with high cheekbones, powerful jaws, and massive frames. Published in 1883 from Past Accounts. From the Historical Collections of Ohio in two volumes. I'm telling you, the titles and stuff to some of this are super dry, but they're so much fun. From the outset of North American archaeology, no federally sponsored concern has researched and collected evidence specifically emphasizing the existence of unusually tall Native Americans in prehistoric and historic times. This was published in 1888. And shortly after that, the Smithsonian Institution began to get involved with the excavation of many of these different sites. And there is a lot of talk on the different blogs and and sites that I, I read that people truly believe that the Smithsonian covered up a lot of giant history. And there seem to be several reports from different employees and from different documents that people had referenced but i never actually saw an actual document just pieces of them about secret rooms where some of these giant artifacts had been stored not sure that i really believe there's a ton to that but at the same time i'm not sure that i don't things were a little different 150 200 years ago so from the Firelands Pioneer, which was a, a newspaper, this was published in 1858. The story came from oral native tradition and storytelling. It was well known amongst the Chippewa, Sandusky, and Twa tribes, who are all members of the Algonquin language group, of the story about giant bearded men. The story was translated to English by a man named Benjamin Brooks, who lived among the tribes for 14 years of his life. And he relayed the story that the first tribe to occupy the country was of black bearded giants, very large and imposing in size. 
These giants were chased out of their homes by a tribe of red-bearded men, also giants. They killed and drove the Blackbeards away. I think that's kind of interesting because that is one of the most compelling pieces of this story across the world. These red-bearded giants. The mentions of the red-bearded giants, hearing this from from the 1800s from different Native American tribes in Ohio, and then there apparently are well-known legends of red-bearded giants in Alaska from some of the, the Native Inuit legends, and then there are legends of red-bearded giants in the Middle East. The most cohesive thing so far on all of this that I found and struck me was the red beards. Right down to a lot of the Vikings were said to be giants of men, and they were all red-bearded. So it was just really, it struck me. This is slightly out of Ohio, and it was published in 1902, but I love this story. It was from the Historical Encyclopedia of Illinois in Lake County. James Mooney collected this story from a man named James Wofford. Wofford was of the Western Cherokee. He was born in 1806. He spoke of his grandmother in a story that she told him. His grandmother was born in the middle of the previous century, so in the 1750s, and she spoke of a story of a group of men that once visited long before her time. A party of giants nearly twice as tall as common men. Their eyes were set at a slant in their heads and they lived far away in the direction in which the sun goes down. They came to visit her tribe and stayed several moons before they returned home. So I, I don't know. I, just, I love these stories. I, I just, it gets me. And then a clip from the Adair County News. An old Indian mound was opened four miles east of Jackson, Ohio, on Harrison Robinson's farm. Two skeletons of extraordinary size and a great quantity of trinkets were removed. It's published on January 5th, 1897. Maybe that's part of what's so interesting to me is none of this was so, so long ago that it's absurd. I mean, when you think of the early 1900s, late 1800s, that's your great-grandparents. That is true. This is barely one and a half people ago. So there's also a clip from... Oh, I love this one, too. There's a clip from Hardesty's History of Monroe County, Ohio. It talks about... He told me further of killing a big Indian at Buckchictwa Creek, about the time of the settlement at Marietta. The Indians came back to bury the big Indian the next day, but were, but not before he discovered the dead man was 20 inches taller than him, and he himself was a tall man. Later, Chester Bishop was digging a cellar for Ashel Booth and Clarington when he came across a skeleton. He took it to Dr. Richard Kirkpatrick, who measured it at 8 feet 5 inches tall. They were likely the bones of the big Indian that Jackson spoke about. So the he in that first paragraph was Jackson. This was published in 1898. And then my absolute favorite, I came across three or four different stories. Yeah, I actually came across in what little research I did do that uh, the native tribes of America have several stories of 
just entire tribes that they considered giants. And it was fascinating. Yeah. Did you do any... Do you have any stories on that? Because I have a couple. I just have that the Alagway, I think it's called. Basically, they... They're the reason that it, the Allegheny area is named the Allegheny area. They fought with the Lenape tribes a lot. That's all I did find. Looking for evidence of this tribe is supposedly equated to finding evidence of the Trojan War. Oh, wow. So, super hard. So, I don't know. Yeah, I did find some on that. I'm actually looking. I seriously have, like... I, on my lunch breaks, I was writing on the back of, of old time sheets, and so I have those spread out all over the place. And then I have a second notebook that I was writing on at the house here, and then I have a legal pad that I found um, in my desk here at the house, and I was writing in that too. So, ah, here it is. So I found the same thing. This was out of the Athens News, and. There are many sources that say giant tribes used to roam Ohio. Tribes that ranged between 7 feet to 9 feet tall. They were the mound builders and earthworks builders. They had battles of massive proportions. And I don't know why that made me giggle so much. Because, I mean, can you just imagine two 9 feet tall, probably three to 500 pound men going at it? Of course that's a battle of massive proportions. Literally. The tribe was called the Algonquwe, and the Allegheny Mountains and the Allegheny River are both named after this tribe. They called most of the Ohio River Valley home. Lenape lore says the Allegheny they encountered were very tall, but not necessarily gigantic. In an account from the Athens Messenger on April 21st of 1870, in one mound in the plains, they had two circular rooms where they found giant skeletons surrounded by regular sized skeletons arranged like spokes on a wheel. Sound familiar? Yep. So apparently it's pronounced Alawi or Alijwi. Ooh, I like that. Interesting. I don't know. That's what the internet says. I mean, you gotta trust the internet, right? <laughs> I'm sure. Not as far as I can throw it. There's just, I have so many accounts of on J.M. Bowman's farm, they excavated a mound and they found men and women buried as couples. The length of the skeletons exceeded eight feet and nine feet. The dig was begun in December of 1870. This is also where the Brush Creek tablets were found, which are large sandstone tablets inscribed with an ancient eastern form of writing. The vestiges of giants are still found in children with six toes and fingers, double rows of teeth, and excessive heights to this day. This was in a paper written in 1880, the Firelands Pioneer. I found a couple articles from them. It just, there's so many accounts of stuff like this. From the Marion Daily Star, written on July 14, 1880, the remains of nine-foot-tall giants in Ohio, found in Muskingum County. The mound in which the discoveries were made was 64 feet long and 35 feet wide, measured on top. It was covered in tree stumps and gently sloped. The skeletons were found in the same level in the mound, about 8 feet from the top. One grave held two skeletons, a male and a female. The female looked down and the male immediately on top was facing up. 
The man measured nine feet four inches tall, and the female measured eight feet tall. Another grave, directly adjacent, held a female held a female in a clay coffin holding a three-foot, six-inch-long child. Seven more skeletons were found in separate graves on their sides. The smallest of these was nine feet tall, and the tallest was ten feet tall. In the same mound on the south end was a stone altar that measured four and a half feet by twelve feet on a foundation, and with two large flagstones in the center. The flagstones held charred bones, cinders, and ashes of sacrifices. A sandstone tablet, heavily full of iron oxide, bore two lines of hieroglyphics. It was found at the head of the clay coffin holding the female skeleton. This was also the only skeleton with teeth inside the, the coffin. It just blows my mind. I actually have a fun story about that one. Please tell it. There was an article I found that the excavationist was taken to court for not paying his workers. And at that point, one of the workers claimed to have been paid $15 to carve the stone and give it an ancient appearance. That's interesting. How much of what a disgruntled unpaid worker says, though? Yeah. That's definitely interesting. Especially... If it's like, oh, you're famous because you found this giant, let me, you know... Put some skepticism to it. Yeah, let let me ruin that for you because you didn't pay me yeah. and you treated me like dirt. So, smear all the mud. It's just fascinating. I'm almost through my notes, I promise. So, an account by David Cusick, who was of the Tuscarora tribe, wrote in 1825 of a powerful ancient people called the oh this word is like 15 letters long oh is it the r1 ronagonwetawanka yeah let let me look that up so it is spelled r-o-n-n-o-n-g-w-e-t-o-w-a-n-c-a ronagonwetawanka <laughs> anyway uh doesn't even come up. <laughs> I, I my top result is pronunciation guide for the Rams, like the fo- football team players. Uh huh. And then I get Irish. This is a heck of a name. Yeah. I have no idea how to say it. If anybody out there knows better than me, please let me know. Otherwise, I'm probably gonna try to not say it ever again. More out of not wanting to butcher it than anything. This. This tribe, with the enormous name to go with their stature, were giants that made themselves feared by attacking unexpectedly. The other tribes eventually grew tired of living in fear and banded together a group of 800 warriors to battle the giants. They were successful. This is said to have happened 2,500 winters before Columbus arrived, so around 1000 B.C., This was around the time that the Adena people appeared. I saved the link to that article. It was very fascinating. And we will post that on our website. Yeah, I have several links to some cool articles here that include some some more reading that I could cover it all. I I, I really would have no problem going on for another hour and a half or two hours. I know. I'm I'm sitting here going, I think we should cut one or two of these out. I know. It just... Just we're not rambling. But at the same time, it's like, there's so much that 
because there is so much and so, and it's all very, very similar, I have a hard time believing that all of this is just stories that people sensationalized or made up. I think there's a good portion of it that's probably sensationalized, but I also think that there's quite a bit of it that is not. There's so many discoveries from people that you have to think in our lifetime, I mean, you and I are of the age that we went from carrying around the old Nokia cell phones that you could use like a sledgehammer to having a a small computer in our pockets. That's happened in the last Mm -hmm. 15 years. I remember as a young child, you know, probably between five and 10 years old, my dad, who was a teacher, bringing home an old Apple computer from the classroom so we could play games on it over the summer. And it was this massive unit that took up three quarters of a desk. So we're talking, you know, like 25 years ago. And when we're talking about some of these encounters and things and discoveries that happened in the 1700s, you have to put it in the perspective of these, these people and these towns would be, I don't know how many people listening have ever ridden a horse, but that was the mode of transportation, especially in a lot of these small towns in Ohio. I don't know if you remember in school or if they even teach it these days, but when Ohio was settled and it was in this time frame that we're speaking about right now, it was said that a squirrel could go from one side of the state to the other across the treetops and never touch the ground. So it was a very, this, this was the Ohio we live in now is very different from what it was even 150 years ago. So there was towns that were fairly seemingly close together, but when you think about you might get 20 miles, 20 to 30 miles out of a horse in a day if you're riding, let alone if they're pulling a wagon. The railroads and things were fairly young at that time. While communication and things were not impossible, it's not like you were going to text your friend that lives in Delaware and get it to Mansfield in the blink of an eye. That letter was going to take a few days to a week to arrive. I'm not sure... Like, I'm not saying that none of this, these towns or cities or newspapers or communities ever, you know, that they did not communicate with each other. But I don't think it was as easy to come up with this elaborate hoax. Like, it's, like some people seem to, to think that the giant thing is. I definitely can see where some of these newspapers that they write an article that we found a giant that's eight feet tall. Yeah. Well, we found a giant that's nine feet tall. Well, guess what guys, our giant was 10 feet tall. When you look at the dates on that. Yeah. I, that definitely could, that's probably an ego thing. (laughs) But when you read about some of the different accounts from diaries that were private diaries, that were private logs in small towns that were never published until 50, 60, 100 years later, people went around and historians compiled them, and they're all very similar. I think there's a grain, maybe more than a grain of truth to it. 
Did I lose you? Yep. Nope, I'm here. You're like, yes, I fell asleep. What's wrong with you? No, I'm just, like, I... I think if you live in a town where there aren't a lot of people who are over average height, you live in a time where, you know, you die at 13 in childbirth. (laughs) Yeah. That if you find the skeleton of someone who's six feet, seven feet tall, it's going to be a giant. And then factor the fact that the actual calculations to get the height off of a skeleton are super complex. Mm-hmm. And once a skeleton degrades and all the ligaments holding your bones together go away, then your bones kind of spread out, make you even taller, that it's easy to look at a skeleton and be like, oh yeah, that was a giant, when it could have just been a very tall person who either was traveling through and died or was a recluse because of whatever reason. But like, I, I, I don't think it's impossible. I just, like you said, some of these nine, 10, 11, 18 feet, it, I, I don't think that that's a thing. When they start getting to where they're 18 feet and like, I came across a article that talked about a skeleton that's on display in Ecuador that's apparently something like 26 or 28 feet tall. And I was like, mm. wow, okay, so that's where Stormalong came from. I feel like at that point, gravity would just be crushing you. I don't you know. You even be able to live. I don't know. I feel like gravity catches me sometimes and I'm not even six feet tall. Right? But I did find someone... Because I have to be devil's advocate and, like, look at the flip side of things. I did find someone who said, who mentioned that in the 19th and early 20th centuries, they used double tooth, the expression double tooth, as a way to describe molars and premolars because they appeared to be two teeth long. And double teeth is all around referred to a high degree of tooth wear. And then double rows of teeth is described as upper and lower teeth. So when they're talking about, oh, there was the skeleton with double rows of teeth. Well, to us, that means you start thinking shark, multiple rows of teeth. But it probably just meant that it had all of its teeth intact. That's fair. So it was just an interesting thing to to think about what they meant versus what we interpret nowadays there's a lot of the reading that is is kind of like that you know the way that we would describe something now versus how it was described then if you looked at the same object one thing that is extremely interesting to me again that just seems a little coincidental and i say that with heavy sarcasm a lot of the accounts of these giant skeletons come with not only the double row of teeth, but with six fingers and six toes. I don't know why I find that to be kind of interesting or more than kind of interesting, extremely interesting, because it's not just something that's mentioned in America. It's not just something that's mentioned in Ohio. That seems to be a worldwide conclusion when they start, when you're speaking about giant legend and lore. The other thing that seems to go along with a lot of 
giant legend and lore is the fact that giants were man eaters, even to the point of Jack and the the beanstalk. The giant wanted to eat Jack. <laughs> yep. A lot of the Native American giant legends that I came across also mentioned that the the reason that they wanted to or did chase out and kill many of these giant tribes were because they would eat their their children. I don't know about you, but that might be a good reason why if these giant tribes, and I'm saying giant is in the seven to eight feet, seven to nine feet tall that a lot of these guys were estimated to be, if they were eradicated because they were eating people. Seems like a pretty good reason to eradicate somebody to me. I would agree. (laughs) Cannibalism is frowned upon in this podcast, people. Yes. Please don't be a cannibal. Just because we talk about it doesn't mean we condone it. Not even a little bit. Yeah, so this whole topic has been... It has grabbed my interest. I have really, really enjoyed it. It was really fun. I could tell you were enjoying yourself. Yeah. I'm a dork. Every every day, guys. Did you hear about this about the Giants? No, Andrea. I won't hear about it during <laughs> recording. Next day. Did you hear about this? No, Andrea. <laughs> Do you work at all, ever? Yeah. But we had, you know, Snowmageddon 2022, so I was off for four days. Oh, and then I've been right. sick. So I literally have been laying here wishing that I could go do something while the barn door was frozen shut and we were snowed in and I was coughing my toes up and all I could do was read. Yeah, so we are recording this one later than normal because someone was sick. We're waiting for her to get over it. Yes. The Ohio State Penitentiary episode just came out today. So like usually we're one or two episodes ahead. We are we are so far behind. (laughs) Yeah, which, as horrible as I sound today, you should have heard me yesterday. Oh, she was, she was, oh my goodness. There was no way we were recording earlier than today because, yeah. anyway. I sounded like your great aunt Mabel that smokes three packs a day for about two weeks. It was fantastic for my humor. (laughs) Thanks. Amanda, what is our next topic? So our next topic, it, I kind of am stuck on finding a new one, but I think I have, I think I have it figured out. So we had a fan request to look into the murder of a girl named Louisa Fox down in uh, Egypt, Ohio, I think it was. I believe so. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Looking into that. I came across some information about the man who murdered her in regards to a completely different murder. So we will be covering Louisa Fox as we cover the murderer, Thomas Carr. (laughs) Do some legend and true crime. Let's switch it up a little bit around here. Mm Mm-hmm. As always, if you guys have some tales of giants, let us know. If you have any input on Louisa Fox or Thomas Carr, get a hold of us. 
We've got social media all over the place. We have our email, which is ANATallTales at gmail.com. Send us a message on Facebook. Comment on our YouTube page. However you want to get a hold of us. On our website. Oh, yes. That's a good one. All that stuff. We will have some extra content on our website. It's really fun. There's so much to this this giant topic and at some point we will touch on pygmies because apparently they go hand in hand i did not know that but okay yeah there was a lot of mention of the moon-eyed children Hmm. that always followed giants and my brain immediately went to schmeagol so anyway Mm. yeah i'm gonna mention some moon after my dream last night (laughs) yeah Yeah, that was weird, too. Then, you were, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. So. You, you guys be good. Stay safe. Be respectable. Adults. Or if you're a child, children. And we will see you next time. We will see you guys next time. This has been A&A Tall Tales, an independently written, recorded, and produced podcast. Our intro sounds are Crackling Fireplace by Julius H. and Nightwoods by Widget Studios. Our intro song is Harmonica Solo by Julius H. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.